0: We turn in our Bibles again to Titus and chapter one. Titus chapter one. And today we want to think together of the ninth verse, uh, Titus one verse nine, in this list of qualifications for elders. Titus one verse nine. You must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Sorry for bringing up this subject, but do you remember your school days? For those who are younger, obviously that's a very live memory. They were there on Friday, most of them. But for those who are a little older, it's a distant memory. But my question regarding your school days is, what did you enjoy about them? For some of you, it was home time. Getting on the bus. Walking out the school gate was the only good thing about your school. For others, it was break time. Heading down to the dining hall for your lunch or out to the playground to kick football. But for many of us, what was good about school was an able teacher. A teacher who made their subject come to life, who worked hard, who got alongside of us, who was enthusiastic about her subject and her pupils. And you looked forward to her class. And you chose that subject for your GCSEs, for your A levels, and maybe also for your degree because she was able to teach. This is the qualification of an elder that we're studying today. As 1 Timothy 3 puts it, they are able to teach. Or as Titus puts it, holding firm the trustworthy word so that he may be able to give instruction. In our studies on the eldership in this paragraph, and we are coming to an end this evening, and then next Sabbath morning the heads of the elders are getting lower and lower every week they they enter church. We will be moving on uh, to to another subject, but it's important for us at this time, isn't it? Looking at the qualification of elders that we have here. And we've noticed in the fifth verse an introduction to the subject, thinking of the office, the ordination and the origin. Of elders, an ancient office designed for the spiritual oversight of the congregation. We've noticed also that elders might be new to this office, they've never been elders before, but they've cut their teeth in the work of elders in their home life. They're able to manage their house, they've exercised authority and pastoral care over their children. We've noticed also that there are vices which affect and tempt people in places of leadership. They're obviously to to be avoided. And this evening we'll think of six virtues that are to be embraced by potential elders. But today we're, we're thinking of this aspect of elders placed last in this list of qualifications and yet developed by the Apostle in the rest of the chapter in verses 10 to 16. This is the one area out of all the qualifications that the Apostle emphasizes. It was critical for the congregations in the island of Crete that the elder was able to give instruction. And surely it's critical for us in Ard's congregation at this time. In a world of false ideologies and wrong religions that the leader in the congregation is able to teach. And so this qualification is at the end for emphasis, climax, importance. We want to think of the elder holding the truth, the elder teaching the truth, The elder defending the truth from verse number 9. The elder should be someone holding the truth. What is he holding in verse 9? The trustworthy word as taught. Elders are to have a good knowledge of and commitment to the word. We use this term, the word, a lot, don't we? We pray that God will bless the word in church. We we pray that that God will help us to to listen to his word as it's read in family worship. And by this we mean the Bible, the Old and the New Testament, the word. And the meaning here is, is no different to that. The trustworthy word that they have been taught taught by Christ. And then the teaching of Christ continued in the teaching of the apostles. They didn't have the written word as as we have in the New Testament now. They had the taught word. But they were to hold firm to the trustworthy word they had been taught by the apostles. Unpacking the true meaning of the Old Testament and adding to that the teaching of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. And so for them and for us, it means the teachings of the Old and the New Testament. The authoritative word. The authentic word. What Paul calls here the trustworthy word given by God. And so it can be trusted, and it should be trusted. It is true, it is inerrant, as we were learning in our Bible class. The trustworthy word of God. And the elder and the potential elder should be someone who holds firm to the trustworthy word. It means, Mount says, to be devoted to Strauch suggests a wholehearted commitment to. Towner suggests unwavering adherence. They're holding firm to the teachings of the Old and the New Testament. They not only know the teachings of the Bible, but they've embraced them. They love them. They live them out in their life. They're holding firm to the Word. Towner suggests the Word means a firm acceptance of, an unshakable, fervent conviction and commitment to. And so they are men who will be able to take that vow that elders are required to take, that the teachings of the Old and New Testaments are their faith, and that those subordinate standards which distill the teachings of the Old Testament found in the Confession and the Catechisms they themselves have embraced they're holding firm the word in grand designs kevin looks at all aspects of the grand design and he will survey a building perhaps that will end up costing 1.2 million he will analyze the, the upper tiered walkway that will be there He he will talk about this dining room which has two floors to it. He he will scrutinize the bells and whistles of this incredibly well-designed building. But crucial to the whole edifice is the foundation, the importance, the scrutiny, the getting of that right. And here the apostle, in the very last qualification, comes to the foundation which underpins the virtues of the elder. Which underlies the domestic life of the elder. He's a man who holds firm to the word. And I'm really emphasizing this qualification in an elder and hence bringing it to the morning service, although we'll be looking at the previous verse in our evening service. Because I think you should prioritize this in your election of men for the eldership. Because the apostle is prioritizing this by putting it at the end and and holding on to this thought as he moves into the rest of the chapter. This was the thing that was really important to protect the people in Crete within the churches. And surely this aspect of a man is crucial in our time. In the shifting sands of our day morally and theologically. That he is a man who holds firm to the word. Every potential elder will have areas of weakness. Maybe he is quiet. Maybe his home life is not ideal but not contrary to verse 6. Maybe he lacks some social skills. But in this area of orthodoxy, there cannot be any weakness. If he has doubts about creation about regeneration, about justification, about repentance, about hell, about inerrancy, he cannot be an elder. But if he clearly, firmly holds them, you must consider him holding the truth. But then secondly, teaching the truth. The apostle goes on, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. Calvin comments eh, on this part of the verse, an elder needs two voices, one for gathering the sheep and the other for driving away the wolves. And it's these two aspects of the elder that are now dealt with, one in teaching the truth To those within the congregation. And then our third heading. Defending the truth against those in error outside the congregation. So teaching the truth. What he calls here the sound doctrine. The healthy doctrine. A medical term which describes the beneficial impact of God's word in our lives. It brings health cleansing, development to our souls. Mount says it's doctrine which produces clean, wholesome, healthy lives. The healthy doctrine, the sound doctrine. And the elder is able not only to hold it for himself and benefit of it in his heart and in his home, but he's able to teach the healthy doctrine. Within the congregation. This healthy doctrine is set in contrast to to false teaching which has the opposite impact of defiling and corrupting the hearers. The apostle speaks of this in 1st Timothy 6 verses 3 to 5. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ he writes... And the teaching that accords with godliness. He is puffed up with conceit. And understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy. And for quarrels about words. Which produce envy. Dissensions. Slander. Evil suspicions. And constant friction. There's the impact of Unhealthy doctrine, producing envy and dissensions and unhealthy friction. But but the benefit of healthy doctrine is that it produces good, clean, wholesome lives. And the elder is one who's promoting that, who's teaching that. He's able to communicate the healthy doctrine. He's able to do it. He's capable in terms of his knowledge, Knight says, his ability, his commitment. Exhort here in our verse, give instruction. It's different from the word preaching. Preaching refers to this pulpit ministry, but give instruction here is on a more private and intimate level, perhaps within a Bible class perhaps within a Sabbath school, perhaps in your home, the elder is capable of giving instruction in the healthy doctrine of Christ. I remember as I was thinking of this uh, of an occasion as a teenager in a congregation of around uh, 20 uh, teenagers and we were all asked to to come to an elder's house After the evening service. Now this elder had a wife who came from Italy. And she carried with her from that country. The ability to make incredible pizza. And we loved going to this elder's house. And and Julie that night the pizza was there. And we gorged ourselves on the pizza. And then the elder called the the 20 of us. Into his front room. Sat us down and said that he had heard rumours. Rumours of waywardness among the young people of his congregation. And he exhorted us to follow the ways of Christ. He was able to give instruction in healthy doctrine. So not only is the elder to be orthodox in himself but able to exhort others to believe in and live by the doctrines of Christ. And a man fulfilling this qualification will have two abilities. He will have an ability to speak. He can string sentences together. He can be clear in his communication of truth. Can you imagine the man you're, you're thinking about going along to the senior CY and, and sitting down with the young people and communicating to them the healthy doctrine on the subject of abortion. Can you imagine him coming to your home and setting out in your home the biblical teaching on attending church, on sex before marriage, or on the nature of baptism? He has the ability to speak. And he has the authority to speak. The man can speak because he lives it himself. He holds firm to the doctrine. He embraces it. He loves it. He lives it. It marks his life. Holding the truth. Teaching the truth. And then thirdly, Defending the truth. And this is at the end of our verse. And also to rebuke those who contradict it. Not only is the elder holding the truth himself. Not only is he able to exhort believers in the healthy doctrine of Christ. Crucial roles within any congregation. But he's also able to defend the truth against unbelievers, against, the verse says, those who contradict it. From the earliest centuries within the Christian church, there has been opposing views. The orthodox teaching has been questioned and rivaled and denied. And it's been crucial not only for ministers, but for elders to be able to rebuke those who contradict it. Most of the New Testament letters are written in the context of opposing truths. You've been learning from Tim about the book of Colossians and the Gnosticism that that had arisen there and how the apostle is counteracting that and the elders on the ground were wrestling with this. And here at Crete, in the rest of the chapter, the apostle goes on to describe those in verse 10, for example, unsubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers. There was a whole range of opposing views and what was needed for that congregation and for Newton Ard's congregation as well is men who are able to rebuke those who contradict the healthy doctrine of Christ. They're able to rebuke those They have the ability to take on the false teaching, to dismantle their arguments, and to defend the truths of Jesus Christ. They don't sit idly by and let false teachings run riot within the congregation. They stand up to false teaching. Keep the people in the healthy doctrine of Christ. The Apostle says, such is the clarity in verse 13 and winsomeness of the elder that while they rebuke opponents sharply, perhaps they're able to win their opponent to the faith. We read in Acts 20 and in Psalm 23 that the sheep are in the presence of enemies. The psalmist in Psalm 23 describes the the amazing care of the shepherd that even when enemies are around, yet he provides for them in the presence of his enemies. In Acts 20, the apostle said to the elders, I'm leaving you now, but as soon as I leave, false teachers will try and enter the congregation and ruin the congregation and you elders... You need to watch and guard the congregation. Holding the truth. Teaching the truth. Defending the truth. There are many controversies in our time and in our age. And, and the elder should be able to, to stand up against those. Evolution is a major threat to many Christian congregations, the denial of the inerrancy of Scripture, and it was great to hear our elder, Trevor, setting out so clearly in our Bible class this morning. The propitiationary aspect of atonement, the five points of Calvinism, are all questioned and denied by many within our society. The pro-life position is challenged by multitudes. Debates about God's existence, suffering, the afterlife are ongoing. And the elder is a man who should be able to rebuke those who contradict the word. Can you imagine the man you're considering fulfilling this role? Holding the truth. It comes last, doesn't it, in this list not because it's least important, but I would argue because it's most important. The others are very important, the domestic life of the individual, the virtues eh, that that are there. But a man may manage his home well, be a godly man, but hold to the doctrine of evolution, premillennialism, Arminianism, Or universalism, and that man cannot be an elder. On the other hand, a person you may be thinking about has room for improvement in his home life. Perhaps, in your estimation, he's 70% in his home life. He can be an elder. 70% Orthodox, you can't be an elder. 70% in your domestic life, you can be an elder. Holding firm. The trustworthy word. Teaching. Able to give instruction. How could I possibly know if this potential person is able to teach, you might ask. Well, if you've been in the congregation for a number of years then, you can think back to Perhaps midweek meetings where people have spoken and shared and communicated. Were they able to do this well and, and, and ably? Perhaps at congregational meetings when questions were asked and points were put across. How clear was the communication they were able to give? Or perhaps you're new to the congregation. Talk to the man you're thinking about voting for. Maybe they're sitting right behind you at this very moment after discussing the weather and your health ask them a question that you're wrestling with the UK economy the war in Ukraine assurance of salvation and see how the answer holding teaching and lastly defending does the man have some backbone is he able to counter-answer your argument. They don't listen to you in an unthinking way, in an unevaluating way, in an uncritical way. The cogs are always there as you're conversing with them, turning away, thinking, reflecting on what you're saying. Here's a line for you to use after church. Say to them, that was a great sermon today. And see what they say. Will they say, yes, yes, I enjoyed that. But I would have liked a bit more on rebuking those that oppose themselves. Or I wanted a bit more of Christ in the sermon. Or I thought there could have been more application in the sermon. Do they critically reflect on what you say? able to rebuke those who contradict the word. Holding, teaching, defending. Perhaps you've been mystified by the amount of space given in the Gospels to those controversial discussions Jesus had with the Pharisees. Why did he bother? Why did he care? Why did he engage in such verbal dialogue? It's because he loved his church and he would defend them against error. And the potential elder not only holds the truth himself, not only teaches within a congregation, but such is the depth and the strength of his love for Christ's people that he will rebuke those who contradict him.